Worship is the very center of uh, any community of faith, but it's just got to be the center of this community of faith. And so I'm so thankful to see you and so grateful for all of you students who are here because we know uh, now from all of the, uh, thank you, from all of the pages that uh, we have assigned that uh, you're already overwhelmed. Let me just give you one free word ahead of time. In the midst of an oppressive, oppressive time uh, to me in graduate school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, walked in early one morning to our church kitchen and a, and a saint was there, uh, an engineer, and he just, the, the spirit of God was with him and, and he just discerned what was going on in my life. An old man looked at me and he said the strangest thing I'd ever heard in my life. He said, Steve. I said, what? I said, do you know how to eat an elephant? I looked back, I was like, what is this man talking about? And then he looked with great love and he said, one bite at a time. So you pace yourself, you ask for grace, you get into the pace of grace, and you put first things first and always worship, always, always worship is first. So you're doing that this morning, and the Lord will honor you for it, and will honor us as a community for it. What a week in, in worship we've already had. It's like three Ps. Our, our president took us around the world on Tuesday, 60,000 miles, where we rejoiced in the presence of God at work in the global Wesleyan community. Then our pastor... Uh, took us uh, on a car wreck, and then we got to see the whole new world, uh, or the whole world in, in a whole new light after that. We're so thankful for our pastor. Now the least of the professors uh, will share a little bit this morning about covenant and the covenant prayer and, and the whole import behind it. You know, uh, the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament department is all over here on our right. They're both sitting together. Are there any other Old Testament profs here this morning? Am I missing anybody? Well, the Shekinah glory is here. I'm, I'm stepping into their area already. They're going to teach you about covenant. I have such joy when I think back about my days here as a student when John Oswald just opened the whole world and the whole Bible to me. And a big part of that was covenant. 300, nearly 300 times this word is found in uh, the Old Testament. So you'll see it early on, even in uh, Genesis 15, uh, 18, where um, God, who is the one who initiates covenant, by the way, he says, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, to your descendants I give this land. So I want, you to get, I want you to get this progression. We're, we're doing movement. We're doing movement of covenant today. Always it's the Lord who initiates. And, and what we're going to see when you get into Wesleyan theology, what's the primary means or the first means of grace normally that we talk about? You got it. Provenient grace. So... It's the grace that goes before. It's the grace that comes. Now, let's see if, uh, there we go. Let me go back one. So, covenant is always an expression of God's steadfast love. 
and the reason we're doing this is just to encourage you to take notes so you can remember, so that, so that you can go back and review in, in, these, in, in these chapel times. You know, it's, it's God's steadfast love that asks for partnership. And it's the receiving of his love. And then it's responding to that love. And we see even in the giving of the law of Moses that here was a profound expression of God's love. He, he's presenting his nature to us. And then we see in the whole covenant of marriage, we see one of the greatest pictures that God gives us of a covenant. And this, this fall, you, you're really going to be immersed in this, especially on Wednesday chapels. You don't want to miss Wednesday chapels. Dr. Tennant is going to lead us into the depths of the theology of the body. And, and we're going to see the bookends of, of uh, how the Bible is bookended with a marriage, the marriage of Adam and Eve at the beginning, and then the marriage of the church with the bride at the end. It's, it's going to be a critical time for us to have this teaching. But alas, we know that lust flooded into the world through original sin. But, Hosea says, at Adam the transgressed, but at Adam the trans he transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. So we know that this covenantal thing was broken early on. God's initiative of love to us was just absolutely shattered by infidelity on our part. We call this original sin. Then we come to the ancient uh, prophecy in Jeremiah 31 and 34. And, and we see here that the old prophet looked out and he saw something new that would come. And it's going to be very different in terms of its approach than the old covenant. Now, now listen to it. Here it is. Look at it again. You've heard it. Now, now look at it on, on the slide. Look at it. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, what's it saying? It's saying that the, the prophecy is God's going to work very directly on human hearts, and he's going to do this through the power of his Holy Spirit. And there's a promise in this. Look at the promise. I will be your God. That's the promise side. Now, now go over on, on the other side of the covenant. The other side of the covenant is, you'll be my people. I mean, this is the greatest promise any of us can ever hear. I'll be your God. You will be my people. So important now to establish the fact here that the law was not abolished. I mean, you just think about Jesus and what he had to say about the law and its fulfillment. So nothing's uh, taken away here. Nothing's, nothing's shattered at all. But God's going to work directly now on human hearts. 
And that direct work on our hearts, on the heart of the church, even on the heart of the world, because he's always seeking to woo the world, his direct work on human hearts. What's it going to do? It's, it's going to take priority over the outward demand for obedience. Now, let me be very clear here. It's not saying we're not called to be obedient. We are. It's not saying that, that we are not called to walk in the way of life because we are. But there's going to be a work involved in this that's going to be much, much greater, much, much greater than my mere actions. Now, throughout the year, we're, we're going to lift up the cup. We're going to do this in chapel. We're going to do it in big chapel. We're going to do it in, in the little chapels. And it's always a cherished time when, when we do this. And it's always really pointing toward the great act of the new covenant that we heard in Luke 22. Now look at it again. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, this cup that is poured out for you, what is it? It's, it's the new covenant in my blood. And so what we find in the action of Christ, in the atoning action of Christ, we find that the promise to be our God, what? It's completely fulfilled in this action of the cup and the shedding of the blood. Not only that, but you see this whole movement beginning of the renewal of the human heart in purity, in heart, in life, in love. This is all a reality now made possible for us in Christ. Now I want you to see this uh, picture that uh, Brian Knox did for, for us. And, and let's just tie this in once again to uh, this major theological doctrine of prevenient grace. Now, the heart is the seat of all the dispositions. That's, that's how you move. That's how you act in life. That's, that's, uh, that's the way in which you automatically respond. In, in large measure, it's, it's who you are, uh, though the Imago Dei is the most deepest aspect of who we are, the image of God. But there are ways in which we respond in life, ways in which we choose to love or not love, and those get ingrained. So this is the heart. Now, when you talk about prevenient grace, I want you to look at the two major factors here about how the Lord had to come back in and intervene in our lives after the fall, giving us two primary capacities. He had to do this. He had to move first. He had to be the one to go ahead of us. But always, always the first capacity that he gives us is that capacity called receptivity. It's the capacity to hear. It's the capacity to listen. Look, uh, the activity of God is always and everywhere present, but open only to those who have the eyes of faith to see it, said Jean-Pierre de Cousade. It's, it's that grace that is always coming to us, and provenient grace affirms that 
you can listen, you can receive this. It's a huge thing. Now, it doesn't take out the other side, and that is you've got a response side as well. This is responsibility. I'm called to work. I'm called to action. I'm called to be involved in my relationship, in this covenant. That's incredibly important. But we got to keep them straight, and we got to keep them in terms of priority. Now look at the old saint, St. Augustine. In his Easter homily, here's what he said. You are what you have received. We are what we have been given, in other words. The donation side is important. And we don't want to, we don't want to under, we don't want to undermine that in any way. But, but, but the thing I want you to hear now is what a contemporary of St. Augustine had to say. He said this regarding this donation side. His name was John Cashin, and he and St. Augustine did not get along at all. But John Cashin said this, your running and your willing will never be enough. You need free grace. You need love. You need to receive the gifts of love. We are what we have received. So what does this have to do with your seminary life then? Let's, let's drill it home. Why are you here? Uh, for ordination requirements, for vocational requirements in order to get a job? Well, really, actually, you are here for those things. We don't want to deny those. What's the real reason? You may be here because your husband or your wife drug you here. Uh, and it's okay if there's some amen. Some of you are in some transitional grief in all of this right now, and it's okay. You'll find it to be a home as well. No, you're here for the single most important task. What's the single most important task? It's to allow the Lord to deepen you in his love. The world does need more pastors. The world does need more counselors. The world does need more leadership people and spiritual formation people, but above, and more theologians, but above all, the world needs pastors and counselors and theologians and leadership people and spiritual formation people who are deep, deep, deep in covenant relationship, who can hear and then who lovingly responds. Look at this slide now from one of my heroes. Here's Tom Oden, classic Christianity. Let's just read it together. Read it with me. This is why Christian worship and ethics focus so intently upon gratitude. The beginning point is thankful acceptance of the divine gift. Worship centers on thanksgiving, Eucharistia. Counter to ordinary human expectations, the Christian life consists in taking the risk of allowing ourselves to be endowed with gifts from God. 
There it is. The old man, Tom Oden, knows it. The risk of allowing ourselves to be endowed with gifts from God, that's what we're talking about every time this thing is lifted in communion. Now, of course, you're also here to allow the Lord to build competencies in your life. You want to well handle the things of God. And if you're in a counseling degree, you want to well handle the things of the human person. We do need competency here. There's no question about that. It's an absolute must. But these must not, these cannot be the Marthas that ride over the Marys. You just go to Luke 10 and figure that one out. No, it's got to be both. But in the account of Mary and Martha, a hierarchy was set by Jesus himself. And that hierarchy means that worship and adoration and awe and listening and sitting at his feet has got to be number one. Otherwise, all your skills will run out ahead of you and will end up in the long term actually corrupting you. No, this is about Jesus here. This is about his love. This is about what he wants to do in our lives and the reconstruction he wants to bring about in our lives. In the new covenant, we move away from a mere performance-based way of living. We have to. Now, look at this. You are not, listen, you are not your grade. If you get a high grade, thank the Lord. But offer it up immediately as an act of praise and say, be pleased, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Deliver me from pride and help me, Lord, to give you all the credit because it is your capacities that you gave me in order to do this. Psalm 115, not to us, but to you, O Lord, to you, O Lord, be glory. If you get a low grade, and some of you will get low grades for the first time in your advanced academic lives, it's not a time to flip out, you know? It's just not a time to, 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 to uh, bless the professor in all of her or his incompetencies for not seeing your light. No, it's a means of grace. And you offer it up to the Lord and you pray the prayer, be pleased, O oh God, to deliver me. O oh Lord, make haste to help me. Deliver me, Lord, from any thought of, of, of meanness here and help me, Lord, to see. What are you telling me? What are you, what are you working in my life? Because you are not your grade. Will you say it? We're going to say it together. I am not my grade. Say it with me. I am not my grade. Now believe it. You're not going to be your appointment when you get appointed somewhere. You're not going to be your car when you finally get to drive the car you want to. You're not going to be your checkbook. You're not going to be your clothes. All of those things are going to pass away, man. You're, you're so much more than these things. What are you? What are you? Here's what you are. You are the beloved. You are his daughter. You are his son. 
and he cherishes you, and he cherishes you enough to put you through the fires of seminary. Sometimes I'll wear my Asbury uh, T-shirt or polo shirt around. At the same time, I wear my purgatory hat. Oh, yeah, I wear my purgatory hat all the time. And you think, you know, it's kind of a clash here. And I think, nah, not really. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff going to get burned out of you. Thank the Lord he loves us enough to burn it out of us. How does covenant work? God approaches us with a startling offer. That's how it works. That's always first. That's always primary. What's it about? He's saying, I will provide for you. I'm going to make atonement for you. We remember it. We celebrate it every time we lift up the cup. I'll reveal my will to you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to send my spirit to you, and I'm going to share my presence with you. What else could be mean more in our lives? I'm going to bring my kingdom into your heart. Uh, what, what did we say? Pure and sing, pure and spotless, let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored. It's talking about us, the work in the church, the body as a whole. It's always plural. We're talking about us as individuals as well. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to give you faith, hope, and love. So your assignment, you go look at those in the Greek uh, and, and, and get to get the core meaning of them. And, and the strength that you will need when you've got to carry the cross, all that's coming. So what is our part in the covenant? Our part in the covenant, we're simply called to say yes. That's our part. And in saying yes to accepting all that God offers us is sheer gift. We call this in Wesleyan theology free grace. In saying yes to all of this, we realize that love then enables us to lay down the idols that we have clung to in our own hearts. Now here's the big deal about all of this. I want you to look at this. Well, maybe not. All right. We have to let go of our definitions of goodness. This is the hardest part. It's the tradition in much of Methodism to do this covenant service uh, on a watch night, the last night in uh, the old year, and then stay up all night, and then move into the first day of the new year. And I would do the covenant service on the first Sunday in the new year, always. In the uh, mid-1990s, I was in St. Stephen's United Methodist Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Friends, this was my dream position. I, I had no desire to go anywhere else. I had everything I'd ever, ever dreamed of in that setting. First of all, I had the Rocky Mountains. The church was set on the side of the Rocky Mountains. I had an amazing staff. I had a church filled with with amazing people, and there was deep love and respect. This was at the high water mark of promise keepers. And I mean, they lived out promise keepers with their pastor. This was a phenomenal time. 
I'd gone through, I'm not sure how many services I'd gone through that morning. They were all back-to-back, of course, and I'd just finished one service on that first Sunday morning. And um, normally I run back, would run back after greeting people, get a drink, and then you just run back right out again. You've lived that life. And so as I was running, I ran through the church office, and the phone rang. Now, this would be like being equivalent to running through our foyer and picking up the phone out there. I mean, I never, ever picked up the phone in that church office. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of calls. But never, ever on Sunday morning would I pick up the, would I pick up the phone. It rang. I got a service waiting. I pick it up. I say hello. I said, what am I doing? On the other end, I hear, I hear one of the most distinctive voices in the entire world, which I cannot emulate here. Steve Martin, this is Maxi Dunham. I think, oh, no. <laughs> and I thought immediately, I, said, I was thinking to myself, Maxie, why aren't you in church? <laughs> I didn't tell him that. There's also two hours time difference, so he'd probably already gone to church. Now, keep in mind, I had just prayed this prayer, literally. Lord, make me what you will. I put myself fully into your hands. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and with a willing heart give it all to your pleasure and disposal. You'll hate the prayer. Do you really mean it? And with that phone call, I let go of everything that I cherished. And as we were moving out of town months later, I happened to look back. I was pulling a Honda Accord, and the whole thing, smoke was coming out of the back of the Accord. And I left the parking brake on, and it was kind of how my heart was. Parking brake was still still there, wanting to stay in Albuquerque. But now, see, I realize, I know, look, you don't get to set the conditions. You can't do it. It's it's just not a part of it. We get all the benefits, but we cannot set the conditions. Or I think of an extended member in our own Asbury family, Bethany Tennant. And I think of her in an unreached people group. Oftentimes, by herself, translating, witnessing, living for years. I mean, we're talking about uh, in the bush, literally, and no fruit. I think, oh my gosh, how could I do that? And then our pastor reminded us this week, Jessica reminded me, said, look, the Japanese live for a whole lifetime witnessing and are thankful for one fruit in an entire lifetime. And I'm reminded once again, i got to put down the metrics as well. Look, many of the dashboards we have are not kingdom dashboards at all. i got to pick up kingdom dashboards. Well, we've got to bring this to a Look at that quote. 
It's a wonderful quote. We won't read it out loud. But it's talking about, it's really giving us this issue that, you know, pride is the desire to control. But I've got to let go of that. I literally have to let go of that. All right, let's wrap this up because we've got to say the prayer. The prayer. It's really appropriate that we do this at the beginning of an academic year. Wesley, wherever, as he uh, would go out, he, he would do this covenant prayer out in the field when he's out visiting the different societies. It wasn't done just in the first uh, of the new year. And I think for us it's a very appropriate way. This is a real deed. Um, it's the deed of my house. It's filled with all sorts of covenants. It's like saying, all right, Lord, Ken's going to lead us in this. It's all right. It's, it's like saying, all right, Lord, here is the deed of my life. And um, I got to have this deed. I may miss the altar, but there it is. I'm putting it, I'm putting it down. I'm laying the deed down. I give up the right of control. You place me. You lead me. You promise to take care of me. My job now is trust, trust, trust. I'm signing it over to you. When I do that, at the same time, what I'm saying and what I'm opening myself Two, through sheer grace of God, is I'm saying yes to all of the gifts of God that he has for me. Hebrews 9.15 just nails it. He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance because a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression under the first covenant. What do I get? The law written on my heart. What do I get? The blood of the Son redeeming my life. What do I get? The Holy Spirit renewing. Renewing the image of God, the image of Satan, gone now. The image of God restored and, and being called into full life. New life. And then everything in the Father's house becomes mine. Amen.